So this morning we're starting a new series called God at Work. We believe that God is with you in every sphere of society. He's with you in your families, dads and moms. He's with you in your homes. He's with you uh, in, your, in your leisure time. He's with you at work. So God is, God is present in every sphere of life. We also know that we spend a large amount of our time at work whether you like that or not. I hope you like it because it is a large proportion of your time. I have, I have a brother-in-law that calls his workplace the salt mines. And literally his children for many, many years thought that he went to work at the salt mines. And what he meant by that is he goes there and he does for eight hours stuff he doesn't want to do and then he comes home and does what he wants to do. I hope that work will not be like that for you. I hope that you will be, that work will be... Uh, a place where you build the kingdom in a new arena, a place where God is so present with you that you're having adventures, you're seeing yourself grow, you're seeing the kingdom come, people are getting saved, people are getting turned on to Jesus. The, in, the, in, the inspiration of the Spirit is leading you to great innovation in your place of work. So I'm trusting that that is what work will be for you, and that as we go through the series, we're going to have some incredible times. We've got some high, highly skilled and experienced leaders in certain workplaces coming to speak to you and to share their journey with you, so it's going to be absolutely amazing. You're going to hear from the most, some of the most successful people in South Africa in the area of work and how they have integrated it with their Christian life and how it has become much more than a job that they do. It has become a ministry that they engage in for the furtherance of God's kingdom. So we're going to have a fabulous time. Can we just pray before we begin? Lord Jesus, thank you for your presence here. Thank you for your life here. Thank you for your grace here, Lord God. I just pray that you would pour out your spirit again in our hearts, that you would speak to us beyond what people are hearing in the sermon. You would speak to us in a way that, that invites us into a new space, into a new place of greatness, a new place of understanding, Lord God. Father God, separate us from wrong thinking, from destructive attitudes, Lord God, and place us in a place where success is is part of the parcel, Lord God. Success in the, the right kind of God's success. Thank you, Lord. Amen and amen and amen. So God at work. Did you know that from the beginning of time, God designed human beings to work? So when he put mankind in the garden, he gave them a job to do. They had to tend the garden. They were given dominion over all the world. That there was, there was a place of significance that came from that. Part of their identity of who they were was not just that they, that they were children of God, which is the first identity, but it was also that they were the bringers of God's kingdom. They were the demonstrators of God's nature. That they, they took what they heard in the secret place with God and they manifested it on the earth in that garden. They made that garden look like heaven. That's who you are. Inside of you is something that wants to make the world better. Inside of you is a, a desire to see God's kingdom come, to see things fashioned in the nature of your father, in your environment. Your heart pumps for that. That's why we sometimes get bored with work that, that has seemingly no meaning. 
That's why we sometimes get frustrated with jobs that seem to serve no purpose. Because deep down there is a, there is a part of human nature that must work to bring the kingdom. To feel like you're really being you. To be fully human means that we are being significant agents of the kingdom of God in our arenas. So when we talk about God at work, this is what we are talking about. Did you know, for instance, that the word for worship, one of the words for worship in the Old Testament is the same word as the word for work. In Hebrew culture, when you went and did work, you were worshiping God. You were making Him known. You were glorifying Him. And I know it's sometimes hard to imagine that a spreadsheet can glorify God, but, you know, as you fill in those numbers, think about how, how ordered God is. <laughs> and when things work, God, God's heart is manifested in the lives of people. So today I want to Talk about 10 times better and 7 times hotter. That's why we have the cars there, because it's all about hotness today. Uh. 10 times better, 7 times hotter we're talking about. This is a story about three young men who were ripped out of their homes. They were probably like early teenagers between the ages of 12 and 16. They were ripped out of their homes. They were taken to a foreign nation and the king of this nation, his name was Nebuchadnezzar. Can you all say Nebuchadnezzar? If you can say it, you know you have passed every biblical exam. Nebuchadnezzar. So here was this king, and he had he'd taken all the people from Jerusalem captive. And then he said, well, you know what? Me being the king of all the world, he had quite a, a big self-esteem. He, he, you know, he didn't need any... Um, ministry time to kind of build himself up. He had it. He, he, th he really thought he was the greatest man alive, and you'll see later how that manifested. But, but he said, you know what? All these captives that have been brought to my nation, I want to find the young men that are the best looking, the smartest, and they will be the ones who will serve in my court. So the, his officials went around and found the best of the best, and they found three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You remember those names. They also found Daniel, and he's in part of the story. But the real ones I want to talk about today are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he found these men, and he said, okay, you are going to be taken through all the learnings of Babylon. You're going to learn all our wisdom, all our insight, all our ways, our language. You're going to eat of the finest food. And then after three years, you will come and serve in my courts. I mean, this is like a... a a management development plan like you've never heard. And these man, men were taken away to do this, these boys, really. And then Daniel, who was their friend, said, well, you know, it's all very well to get all this education, but actually this food that you're giving us, because remember, these were, this was a pagan nation, an idol-worshipping nation, and this food that you are going to give us has been offered to idols. We're in captivity in the first place because we, we engaged in idol worship. We are here we're about to be destroyed and having our, our, our lifestyle taken away from us because Israel followed idols. So we just can't, we can't follow idols. We know that it leads to destruction. And therefore, we will do all you say. 
We'll have our names changed. We will learn your ways. We will do whatever you say, but we will not worship idols. We will only worship the one true God. And so they said, as a sign of that, we will not eat the food that is offered to idols. Now, as a result, the only other food they could eat was vegetables and water. I'm so sorry, guys. This is not a pitch for vegetarianism. You may still go home and eat your biltong. I know what your Father's Day got for what your father's got for Father's Day. I know. <laughs> yeah, you can eat your chocolate. You can leave the build. No, it's not. It's not about leaving the building. So, so in other words, they they said we won't eat the meat that has been offered to idols. And as a result, they said, test us in this. And for, so for 10 days, they ate nothing but vegetables. And guys, you know this was a miracle because you understand if you ate vegetables for 10 days and vegetables alone, would you look better than your counterparts? I mean, even if you were healthier, you would look sadder. I understand that. <laughs> but anyway, at the end of 10 days, there's this miraculous thing that they just are healthier, better than all their counterparts. And so guys... For three years, they were allowed to just eat vegetables. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And that's the end of my sermon. All go home, find some broccoli, and everything will be okay. <laughs> I'm getting all kinds of chirps in the front of what kind of vegetables it was. I'm telling you it was broccoli. I'm telling you it was broccoli. One of the great things I remember about my dad, just as we... Just a little aside, one of the great things I remember about my dad is that my mom was very strict about our vegetables. We had to eat every single vegetable on our plate, and we were not allowed dessert until we'd finished every single vegetable on our plate. And so when we got to the end of the meal, and all her three girls were sitting there with the broccoli left on the plate looking at her with pleading eyes, she would say, she was very firm, you will sit at this table until you've finished your broccoli, and she would leave. And we would sit there, and we would count one, two, three. And we knew that about round five, my dad would come sneaking back into the kitchen, eat our broccoli, <laughs> and say, there you go, girls, all done. <laughs> what is the spiritual message behind this? Absolutely nothing. We just love you, dads. Okay. Anyway, these three men are in this foreign nation, and they have been brought into the service of the king. And they are three of the most outstanding men in the, in the nation. And I want to start reading the story from Daniel 1 verse 18. At the end of the time of their training set by the king to bring them in, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Those were their Hebrew names. So they entered the king's service in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them. He found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. Everyone had been through the same training. Why were they ten times better? It wasn't because they were just eating vegetables, although if I know a few people who would say maybe that's part of it, but... It's, it's not that they, ha they were somehow smarter or innately better. What was it? It's because they had refused to bow their knees to the spirit of the age. They, they had continued in worship and excellence towards Jesus, towards God. 
that they, they had maintained the right priorities in their life. They had ma- maintained a connection with their Heavenly Father. There's uh, some really great stories about excellence in God bringing excellence in the world. How many of you have ever heard of Sir Isaac Newton? Have you heard of him? If you did science at school, you heard of him more than you ever wanted to. I understand that. But what is so fascinating about Sir Isaac Newton is that he was a, he was a Jesus follower. He believed in a, a God who had created the world. And part, one of the greatest works he ever wrote was a, an essay or a book. It's a little bit longer than an essay, a book about the revelation of St. John and the book of Daniel. This very book we're reading about. And out of his study of scripture came a belief that God was a rational God and that we were meant to discover all the secrets of the universe. Specifically out of the book of Daniel, that's what he got. I don't quite know how he got it, but he got it. And as a result, he invented Newtonian mechanics. That is the absolute foundation of all the science you certainly learn at school. He's considered the father of the scientific method. How many of you have heard of Handel's Messiah? One of the most incredible pieces of music. Do you know that when Handel wrote that music, he was about to be thrown into debtor's prison. He'd run out of money and he uh, was considered unsuccessful in his career. And then someone said to him, why don't you write a piece of music and we'll do a great concert and all the proceeds from that concert will go to get people out of debtor's prison. And a friend of him gave him a poem or a piece of writing about the life of Christ. He reports that from the minute he sat down with that, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit led him nonstop with hardly eating, hardly sleeping, for 26 days, or sorry, for 24 days, he wrote 260 pages of music that resulted in Handel's Messiah and the Hallelujah Chorus. He said this while he was writing. I did think I did see all heaven before me and the great God himself seated on his throne with his company of angels. What had happened? He had cleaved himself to his heavenly father and the inspiration of heaven had made him excellent in what he could do in the natural. There's a really great principle that the more excellent we remain in our relationship with God, the more excellent we remain in the world or we become in the world, should I say. That excellence in our relationship with our heavenly creator allows us to become earthly creators allows us to become creative, allows us to bring forth the the nature and the glory of God in our environments. And the result is not only spectacular music, incredible science, it's it's wonderful business, it's innovative uh, marketing, it's God being glorified through the work we do. It's the excellence, uh, the proclamation, proclamation of the excellence of His kingdom. Excellence is the echo of God in you. It reveals in public where your heart has been in private. It shows off a life schooled in the habit of obedience to God. How many of you would love to excel in your workplace? How many of you are reaching out for promotion? How many of you dream about 
various kinds of successes. These three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, revealed this to us, that gaining that comes from the secret place of obedience to God. The secret place of digging into relationship. The secret place of allowing the way you think to be transformed by the beauty of who he is. And in so doing, it produces something magnificent and beautiful in the work that you do. The story goes on in Daniel 3. What had happened is that, remember that kind of megalomaniac maniac Nebuchadnezzar, he had built a statue of himself 20 meters tall. And he had make, made a proclamation through all the kingdom that whenever you hear music played, you must fall down on your face and worship this idol. Now the truth is, if these young boys had refused to eat meat that had been offered to idols, you can be well assured that they were not going to bow down to this idol. And true to their convictions, true to their decision, they didn't do that. And the music played and everyone bowed and the Jews stood tall. Saying, I will only bow to the creator of the universe. Some people found that very offensive. And they went before the king and said, these people who are in service of you and you've put over your kingdom all over the place, they refuse to bow to your image. You know, I've thought about this a lot, but when you think about where you work, how many times are you called to bow to the God of materialism? How many times does the music play and you are called to bow to the, the God of humanism? How, how many times are you, are you called to bow to the world views of the world? And part of being excellent means I choose to have my priorities set straight. God is first, my family is second, and my work is third. It may mean this, that you choose not to work overtime so that you can be at your son's game. It may mean that you refuse that trip to the UK that is going to bring, that could bring promotion because you will miss something important in your family. Now, it's not that any of those things are wrong, but it means that you've, you've decided beforehand what your priorities are. And you're living not to the agenda of your workplace, not to the, the call of make more money at all costs. You're living to the call, the drumbeat of the Spirit of God on the earth today. I am absolutely convinced that God wants the richest people on this earth to be Christians. And I'm not saying that any making wealth or success is wrong, but what I'm saying is the way you get there matters. What you leave in your wake matters. If you leave a broken family, it's not really success. If you leave a ruined relationship with your God or you, uh, a relationship that is non-existent with your God, it's not really success. So they are brought before King Nebuchadnezzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, this is like my favorite verse in the whole Bible. And even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, 
that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Can you see how single-minded they are? Can you see how everything revolves around God? It's like we, we don't even need anything from God. It's not that even whether he rescues us or not, he's worthy of our worship. Whether he does what we think he will do or not, he is still worthy of our worship. We, can, we have completely entrusted our lives to him. Way back when we were 10, 11, 12, we already made the decision that everything we do will be ordered by his priorities, not ours. And so, O king, you are threatening to throw us in a furnace, but we have to say this. We know that our God can rescue us, but whether he does or not, whether he does or not, we will not bow our knee to your idol. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter. They were ten times better, and now they were going to experience a fire seven times hotter. My friends, when you are working, and you are giving it all, and you are rising above your colleagues, and you're being excellent in everything, fire will come. I wish I had a better message, but there is a good message on the other side of it. But the no nonetheless, fire will come. He heated the furnace seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their rose Robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed these soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Fire will come. You know, it may be sometimes of your own making, you know, honestly, sometimes I think the fire and the difficulties that we face, you know, we, we look around for people to blame. But if we're honest, you know, we made the fire. You can, all, you can all think back to a time when you made your own fire. But there are also times when the fire comes even when you are doing everything right. How many of you have experienced that sudden blow, that retrenchment, that relationship that went awry, that things that didn't work out, that deal that didn't work, and suddenly you're in a fire that you have no control over? And you know, it would be tempting to draw back and not, not be as exposed, not, not to give your all to a job because a fire might come. But here I'm saying a fire is going to come, so you might it might as well come towards you because of your excellence. A fire will come. But some things I note about these men, that when they stood before the king, you know, they didn't have to make a decision there. I mean, he, he's challenging them and saying, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm stoking a furnace so hot that it'll kill people meters away from it. Serve me or die. I want you to notice how it is so clear that their decision had been made years before that. They weren't making the decision as they stood before the difficult time. They, they weren't standing in the gym with that beautiful babe next to them and thinking, should I engage in a conversation or shouldn't I engage in a conversation? You know, they had already made the decision years back, I'm going to be faithful to my wife. 
that already made the decision way back, I'm not going to take a bribe. They'd already decided who they want to be. They decided years back, this is who I am. And therefore, when I'm faced with the difficult situations, I've already, my mind is already made up. Now I just manage the decision I made so, so far back. Talking about gyms, I do remember this. I do remember when I was quite a bit younger, being in a particular gym and seeing a very handsome man walk by. And I do remember how he turned. Yeah, it wasn't Andrew. He wasn't quite as handsome as Andrew. I do remember after he'd walked a little way by, he turned. And clearly he had seen something he liked. He walked over to me and he he started saying very complimentary things about me. <laughs> I've got, it, feels, it seems like we've got some bodyguards here. <laughs> but you know, I, I, remember, I remember for a fleeting second thinking this. Man, he's nice. But, but he wasn't as nice as you, Donnie. It was fine. Man, he's nice. But that's not who I am. And you know what? I, I feel like it's so important that you make a decision about who you are and who you want to be. And that any situation you face, you're not having to work out what the right thing is. Because you've already, you've already decided the person you want to be. So when you stand before that temptation, when you stand before that fire, when you stand before that offer, when you stand before that opportunity that no one else will know about, you've already decided, no, that's not me. This is who I am. I'm a child of the Most High God. I'm a faithful wife. I'm a faithful husband. I'm a good employee. I'm I'm an excellent worker. I'm an amazing father. I'm a great wife. That's who I am. And those kind of people don't do this. They didn't need to decide. Their priorities were already set. And what I love about this is that statement I said before. King, Throw us in the fire. God can rescue us, but even if he doesn't, we're not bound. What were they saying? It's like our faith in our God doesn't rest on a particular outcome. Like like if I get into that university, then God is good. If my child is excellent at soccer, then God is good. If I get that promotion, then God is good. No, God is good, and he will do what's right, and I can trust him. And it might, it might be pleasant, but it might also be difficult. And no matter what, I am going to walk the way of my father. My faith is in a good God, not in the outcome. Fire will come. James 1, 2 to 5. You know, there are certain pages in your Bible that you want to rip out. You know, you, they're there, and you, you, you're sure it's good for you, but when you read them, you're like, why God? Why, why, why? James 1, 2 to 5. Well, the beginning is like that. The end, it ends better. Consider it pure, pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Can you all just smile and say, man, I'm having such a joyful life. 
Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he would ask God who gives generous, generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. Guys, the conclusion is this. Wisdom from God turns trials into joy. The, yeah. There is no trial, no fire, no difficulty that will come to you that God has not already prepared for. And the way you walk through that is not running away, is not giving into the temptation to avoid the difficulty. It's walking straight into it, confident that God will be with you. Confident that he will give you the wisdom to know where to put your feet, where to step, what to do, so that when you come out the other side, you will have joy. You know how the story ends. It's a very well-known story. I'm going to read it to you from Daniel 3. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, oh, cer certainly, O oh king. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was, there, was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. How many of you have a fire in your lounge? My, that's a miracle. You know what I mean? After that fire's gone, everything smells of fire. There's, I mean, it's just spectacular. When I read that passage, I just get this picture. I get this picture of God looking down from his throne. There are my sons. Look at them unashamedly walking into danger, knowing, knowing that I'll be with them. Hey, Jesus, you better go down there and be with them. Jesus, but you know, I'm not supposed to be down there for another thousand years or so, or however many years. I don't know what it was, 400, 500. Anyway. Uh, and, uh, and Jesus saying, oh gosh, I can't miss this one. Can't miss this one. I'm just going to go be with them. And Jesus stepping down. One that looks like the sons of the gods. No, that was the son of God himself saying, oh my word. Those boys. they made of God's stuff. I can't bear to be away from them. I, I, I'm going to walk in that fire with them. How do you turn a fire into a fun factory? You put Jesus in there. I mean, what would it have been like? I mean, they were walking around. What were they talking about? You know, just, I mean, there's fire all around you standing there. Just the, the ropes are burning, but nothing else is touching you. I mean, and there's Jesus, like the creator of the universe, standing in front of you in the fire. It's almost worth being thrown into a furnace for that. Jesus' presence with you is the first, ultimate, and final victory. You know, this is the very thing your heart longs for. And if you have to go through a fire to get it, so be it. This, this is what you were created for. To be with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. To do the impossible. To sit in difficult situations and bring His presence into them. I've said this so many times. If God wants to change a bad situation, how will He do it? He'll put a Christian in it. 
so that the Christian can pull his presence into that place. You want to change the world, face the hardest situations, walk into them with confidence and bring Jesus in with you. Let his presence be there with you. And that is victory itself. Something that just came to me that I think is so important is that the victory is not only that they walked out of the fire alive, it's also that they stood in the fire unashamed. Because the biggest thing that the enemy will throw, t- throw at you in the difficult times is you failed, you no good, you'll never make it. And yet they refused to listen to those lies and they walked into those fires and they said, I'm unashamed of the decisions I've made and God will come through one way or the other. They could stand in the, that fire unashamed. There's a really amazing woman. She's gone to be with the Lord na- now. Her name is Corrie ten Boom. And she lived in Germany during the Third Reich under Hitler. And her and her family hid many Jewish people from the Nazis in order to protect them from going to the concentration camps. At last they were found out. And her and her whole family were thrown into a concentration camp. Her aunts and uncles with the extended family. And through the atrocities of that concentration camp, All of them died except for her. She was the only one who was liberated from the concentration camps. Having seen that atrocious cruelty, mankind at its worst, she came out of there and she said, I had a choice. I could either be bitter or I could either be better. And she found Jesus and she walked in forgiveness. She tells this really famous story how she was preaching at a meeting. She became a very famous evangelist after that. And she was preaching in this meeting in Germany and she saw at the back of the room one of the guards who had been involved in the camp that she was at, at which all her family had died. And she said, at that moment, everything in her wanted to hate that man. And yet she felt the the grace and the the mercy of Jesus flood her. And he walked up to her. He didn't recognize her at all. He walked up to her afterwards and asked for prayer. And she got down with him, and she prayed for every blessing on this earth possible for that man. Why? Because her heart had been changed by Jesus. But she made this statement that I think is so profound. She said, you can never learn that Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have. And I think that's so profound. And I think sometimes we've anesthetized our lives with so much material, so many material goods and um, so much entertainment that we, we never come to a place where Christ is all we need. And sometimes Jesus will take you to times where he is all you have to let you know that he's really all you need. And I can promise you those three men, when they walked out of that fire, I mean, imagine, imagine they're sitting with the king after that and he gives him a particularly perplexing problem about the kingdom. I mean, do you think they're ever going to worry about anything ever again? I don't think they're ever going to worry about anything again because they faced the worst they was and Jesus was with them. Christ in you is the hope of glory. And in conclusion, excellence in God brings excellence in the world. Although fire will come, Jesus' presence with you is the first ultimate and final victory. He will be with you in every fire. He will make a way and you will come out with the joy of the Lord, victory and glory upon you. Amen.